0: Welcome to Roar with Sparks. How loud is your roar? I am your host, Kristen Sparks. I am the CEO and founder of Roar Inc. Voices are power, communications and connections company. I'm a corporate and personal growth facilitator. I am an infinite possibilities and certified success principles trainer, currently working on my master certification for the success principles and my BVC coaching certification. I am a facilitator, author, speaker, and thought leader. I am a cancer, broken heart, body, and soul thriver. 2022 is a power year and all about living our best life. I may live with chronic pain, but I find joy in every day in the act of getting up and having a new day filled with infinite options, opportunities, and possibilities of success. Roar with sparks, how loud is your roar, is all about you. Come join the conversation as we gather weekly to share wisdom, insight, and value, learning from and giving to each other and our special guest, sending our vibration higher and charging each other up all while having fun. Can't wait to see you here. How loud is your roar? Hi, welcome to Roar with Sparks. Way hey, we are so excited today. We have got Joe Visser from Joe Visser Coaching. <laughs> she is a coach, a facilitator, an educator, all knowing about anything taboo in the women's body, midlife. From your pre-paramenopausal to your post-menopausal and everything in between, this woman is amazing when it comes to knowing how your body is going to react to hormones. And let me tell you, she saved my bacon last week. (laughs) Yes, we started, Joe, I'm going to let you kind of take it from here. And then I'd love to talk about how you saved my bacon last week. Sure thing. So I say,
1: I mean, I I know about how your your body's going to react. Well, I don't necessarily know how your body's going to react, but certainly I do know about talking about this shit and this wonderful shit that's called perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause. So for me, I love having women dialogue and talk about what's going on with them. So I like to demystify the taboos and some of the mystery and the myths, and I am becoming very, very interested in what happens hormonally. I'm delving deeper into what's the, the science, if you wish, behind uh, what's going on in our bodies. I'm all about reclaiming our perimenopause and our postmenopause narrative, and about having those awkward conversations, about empowering women to have those conversations, and about digging for more information and and into educating ourselves about what's happening in our bodies, what's happening in our heads, what's happening in our lives. And there's a
0: lot going on. There's a shit ton going on, right? It's amazing. Getting older, you start to think that all of these things that you've heard about being old are true. And so therefore you start to embody them like, oh, it's just an old thing that I can't remember where my car keys are. Or, you know, (laughs) my brain is not uh, functioning correctly, so it must just be because I'm getting older. And while some of that is true, some of it really has to do more with our hormones. Yeah, because the kind of the the, the common
1: understanding or myth, if you wish, is, oh, well, menopause, and by the way, everything's called menopause. So first of all, we need to start with the definitions. So those... Years leading up to when our period stops for 12 months, you know, even you've had that full 12 months. So those years leading up to those, that point in time is called perimenopause. And that's the time which can be anywhere from five to 15 years, apparently. Of You know, you start noticing changes in your periods or your periods might be fine, but you're maybe noticing changes, other changes in your body or in your sleep patterns. It sometimes it starts off very subtle, And it gets a bit more loud, if you wish. For some women, some women have a lot of perimenopause symptoms. And part of that can be the brain fog. It's certainly the insomnia, higher levels of anxiety, some depression. A lot has to do with what's happening in our lives. So all those coronary more turbulent years, it's the equivalent of puberty. It's just at the other end, right? So before we hit our reproductive years, there's that puberty kicks in and then once we've hit our reproductive years and the hormonal changes start and it's and it's it's a subtle change and then it become, becomes more drastic for other women then we hit that perimenopause you know like it's a natural part of our biological aging just as puberty is a natural part of our biological aging maturity so is perimenopause then when your periods stop for 12 months so when you go a full year without a period that day, that anniversary is called menopause. Every other day after that for the rest of your life is postmenopause. But we just lump everything under menopause.
0: Right. So the period is the beginning, which is anywhere from whenever your body starts to make a change until you get to the first day of the 12 months that you don't have your period. And that period of time, that 12 months is the menopause or at the end of that 12 months.
1: The one day
0: is menopause. Why? what?
1: At, the one day, right? <laughs> one day? One day. So my last period, here we go. Let's get really personal. My last period was November the 10th,
0: 2020. Wow. Mine was November 11th, 2002. 2002. <laughs> that's when they took my uterus. So.
1: <laughs> right. So so you yeah. hit that menopause day surgically on that day. Every day after that's postmenopause. So I hit my menopause on November the 10th, 2021, because I've gone a full year. So that day, that anniversary of my last period is menopause. The years leading up to that, and as I said, for some women, it can be five years, 10 years, 15 years, you start to notice those changes. Some women enter the perimenopause, it can be in their late thirties. So some women start getting say the brain fog or whatever, or the forgetfulness, and especially if they're younger, and they'll might go to their doctor and kind of go, mm, you know, they, they start to what worry about- What the heck's going on? What the heck's going on? Right. Is, it, is, it, is, it, is it dementia? Is it early, some early dementia? Is it early Alzheimer's? Something horrendous like that, when it could be the hormonal changes which start affecting things.
0: Which is what you and I were talking about on Friday. I was lumping it all into the chemo brain. And you're like, wait a minute, something else changed? Are you doing something? Because that sounds like hormones. And I went, oh, well, I changed the amount of hormones I was taking. And the minute I went back, my brain has been so much better. Well, there you go. And it was actually when you were talking about it, and you volunteered
1: the information that you had cut back on your estrogen that you were taking. And it's when you said that, that's when I said, well, hey, it could be that. And so you went back on your regular dose, and you feel better. Like the brain fogs. I mean,
0: that's just this little tiny thing that you wouldn't think of that hormones can do to your body. I mean, hormones control so much of how we feel, what we think, what
1: we do, our heart health. Our brain health, our bone health, our liver health. And people just think it's about, oh, not enough estrogen, but there's so much more going on like in perimenopause, your estrogen levels may be fine. It's your progesterone levels that are hitting the skids. And that's why you tend to get more of the insomnia. And, and then when you hit the postmenopause, well, then your estrogen starts to really take a dip as well. And it is about what the pituitary gland is producing, the FSH, what's going on, which sends signals to the rest of the body, to the ovaries about estrogen production. Also, our adrenal glands start pumping out more cortisol. And when our adrenal glands start pumping out more cortisol, it affects our progesterone. So there's a lot going on. And certainly lifestyle has a lot to do with it, It has a huge impact on how we view and and live our perimenopause and our postmenopause. I've been doing a lot of following of Dr. Wendy Sweet in New Zealand, and she specializes in women's healthy aging. And as you know, she says, this is a natural part of our biological aging. Perimenopause, menopause just makes us a bit more vulnerable. Our heart health is a bit more vulnerable, our bone health, our brain health. So it's like, what can we do to look after our body and our brains? And I've been certainly about having the conversations around what's happening in women's lives. And certainly, we live with far more stress. We, we live with an inordinate amount of stress in our lives. Aging parents, it could be children as well. Career, what's going on? COVID. What do I want to do next? What's important to me? Relationships, marriages. Do I stay? Do I go? There's a lot going on, as well in our lives. And as Wendy Sweet says, everything that we live, leading up to perimenopause and postmenopause, will inform how we transition.
0: Right. Exactly. And you know, it's one of those things that our mothers' mothers didn't discuss.
1: No. And our mothers' mothers didn't live as long as we will.
0: That is very true, too. So there was not a really good foundation for learning what this meant. And I, from my experience, my own personal experience, you know, we had a lot of breast cancer in my family. So my breast specialist was just appalled that I wanted to go on estrogen. And for me, it was a choice of do I, deal with the hot flashes or or do I figure out a way to deal with the pain and I couldn't do both. And so <laughs> it was the better alternative and even if I got my choices were if I get breast cancer then I will deal with that. And not that I want to, not that I would wish that on myself, but it was for me a much better choice to go ahead and go on the estrogen, have the the hot flashes go down, have the brain fog go down so that I could deal with what was happening in my life. And I think that we all need to be given the choice. And I don't think we are yet with the doctors given a choice on what we can do. And then doctors don't all know, because I was between my GP and my breast specialist, what kind of estrogen, what's the best to be on for my body, not necessarily your body?
1: Exactly. And is it bioidentical? That's a huge thing too, when talking about bioidentical hormones. And you're right, women need to have as much information, much good and accurate information to be able to make those choices because no woman's experience of perimenopause and menopause is the same. Right. And one thing is for certain, this is a um, lovely uh, shirty Weir, menopause chicks on, on Facebook. We are not meant to suffer like this idea of, oh, oh, you're at that age. Right. Of course. Oh, well, there's the weight gain. Yes. The insomnia and the hot flashes. Oh, well, you're at the age and you're going to be bitchy. Yeah, you're at the age. And it's most like you just kind of endure when actually you don't have to suffer. You don't have to endure. It it doesn't have to be this horrible sentence of.
0: And when you get those levels correct, you're not bitchy. You're not striking out, which then leads to that whole cycle of blame, shame and guilt because you go right back into that. You know, I never really thought about it this way, but that is amazing where there's such a correlation between how we feel how we behave, and then how we have this story that goes on in our head of who we are and what we are to the rest of the world.
1: Exactly. And our
0: stories
1: around, our cultural stories around perimenopause and menopause, postmenopause, culturally have a huge impact. And if it's, was it uh, itchy, bitchy, and hot is dried up finished, done, all those kinds of things. If that is the cultural message that women receive in North American culture, which is obsessed with youth still, it's also a hypersexualized culture. Yet, if you're a woman of a certain age, A, you're shamed if you don't feel like having sex because you're supposed to be having sex all the time. Or if you're a woman of a certain age, if, of, well, ooh, ick, you're all dried up. What are you having sex for? You know, like you can't possibly. So you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. So so there's that whole thing. Whereas in other cultures, you know, depending on how it views aging, depending on how it views women in aging, depending on what does it mean to grow old in, in certain cultures, will have a huge impact on how women will live and experience their perimenopause and their postmenopause very, very much.
0: We tend to, in North America... Downplay the aging. We do Botox. We don't have lines around our faces, our lips. We're pumping them up so that they look prettier. They're more, I don't know, Angelina Jolie. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And we're doing all of these things to put ourselves in a position where we look like we're maybe 28. You know, we're supposed to stay at 28 or 29. I remember somebody telling me, you never go past your 29th birthday.
1: Oh, God, I could hardly wait to get past my 29th birthday. Turning 30 was the best thing I did and turning 40 was even better.
0: I cried on my 29th birthday, just bawled on my 29th birthday, thinking that, oh my God, I was nowhere in my life. I hadn't done anything that I thought I would. My life was over. I was now going to be old. I had more fun on my 30th birthday than I'd had on a birthday previously. Exactly. 29 sucked, but 30 was good. Right. And then people would say, Well, how old are you? And I'd start telling them I was 40. I look pretty damn good, don't I? Yes. (laughs) I don't know what the hell that was about. But (laughs) it
1: it was really funny because I'm I'm thinking of of two fabulous, you know, second wave feminists. One of them was Gloria Steinem when she turned 50. And I can't remember. And, you know, everybody's like, Oh, my God. Gloria Steinem's 50. And I think it's what she appeared in the bathtub, right? It was this photo off. And, and she just said, well, actually, this is what 50 looks like. So why are you all freaked out? This is what 50 looks like. And then the other great second wave feminist, Jermaine Greer, lovely old broad from, from Australia. I love Jermaine Greer. When she wrote her book, The Change, that was back in the early 90s. And it was about menopause. Yes. And she just said, I am so tired of magazines and women's culture saying, this is what healthy looks like. And she says, and it's all about looking 25. And she says, quite frankly, look at me. I'm healthy. This is what health looks like. It doesn't look like a 25 year old. I'm tired of being sold that garbage. of This is what health looks like.
0: I love my lines. They tell my story. They don't hold on to the bullshit, but they tell my story. I've been here. I've lived. I've done things, whether it's being in the sun or, you know, not, it's smoking or not. That I do have, and I wish (laughs) that I didn't, but (laughs) I did it for 40 years, you know? It's like, it's a story. Every line is a story. My smile lines, you know, I get this indentation because I smile. <laughs>
1: and you do. Right? It's a gorgeous. It's great. Smile.
0: And there's far there's more stories to tell.
1: At this point, there are now more exciting stories to tell.
0: Yes, exactly. You know, and I get to tell it the way that I want to tell it. Where when I was younger, I was telling it the way my parents wanted me to tell it, or my priest wanted me to tell it, or my minister. I didn't have a priest. I wasn't Catholic. But, (laughs) you know, my minister wanted me to tell it. My school teacher wanted me to tell it. My friends wanted me to tell it. Whatever. Now I get to tell it my way. It's my story from here on out. And it does not have to be filled with grief because my hormones are out of whack. I had a fabulous conversation
1: with one of my cousins, actually, this weekend. And she just says, Jo, I have to say the women that I've spoken to over the years and for myself, they haven't been stories of shame. Maybe a bit awkward, but it was always just for me, she says, my menopause has been a liberation and she says, you know, that really is incredible things. You, know, you get you get to reinvent yourself. And that's what I want women to to hold on to, to know they're not alone, to know they're not crazy, to know that they're not falling apart and to know that there are choices, that there's information and to be advocates for each other, to be advocates for ourselves. It's very, very hard to navigate those health professional waters. And that there's a lot of life left in us. And, and and what do you want for yourself now? What's important? And it's about, you know, putting yourself first, you know, all those things, put yourself on top of your priority list, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And it is about that. And what's new and juicy now it might not be your pussy, but you know, it can be. But you know, like, what else do you want to talk about? And, or, or be or like, what else is juicy in your life?
0: Right, exactly. Our lives don't have to be surrounded with this sex thing anymore. It can be more about what we are mindfully, what we are heartfully, what we are soulfully. And that is the story that we can take forward versus the sexual exploitation of our bodies.
1: Yes. And this, you know, Whatever end of the aging spectrum we're at, there's always so much shame around women's bodies and women's sexuality. There's always so much shame around that. So you throw in, you know, perimenopause and postmenopause and it just,
0: that's about changing that story. I completely understand what you're saying. And, And it's not my story to tell, but my side of the story was when I was young, I used drugs and sex to keep from feeling. That was my way of coping with the pain that I was feeling. I've had experience in that and thought, well, you know, if my children were ever to do that, then I would be knowledgeable. I would understand. I would know what to do. That was not what my children chose. (laughs) And so, you know, it was the, uh, yeah, right. (laughs) It was the body. and. I didn't have a clue what to do with that. So I had to go and get myself counseling so that I could help or not, but at least be there as you know an assistant and as a support. And it started from that whole idea of what our bodies are and the shame of what our bodies are. And then growing forward to my age at this point, where my whole mission is to change that conversation of blame, shame, and guilt. So it doesn't matter where you are with that, whether it's because of something you did in the past, because of something someone else did in the past, someone that you may have supported or not, or someone that you have in your future. We have the ability to support each other through this if we are able to recognize that it's okay to go get help. We don't have to know it all.
1: Yeah, we don't have to know it all. And to to know you're not alone. That has been the biggest revelation, I think, for me, is the number of women who feel alone and isolated in their stories of this change of this transition because they didn't feel that there was access to a lot of information or a lot of support. There's not a lot of information or support coming out of your family doctor, you know, you've got your eight minutes with or your OBGYN because OBGYNs are trained in reproduction, by the way. They're not trained. It's all it's, it's about reproduction and not about the other end of the story. So there, there are not a lot of healthcare professionals who are really Trained and attuned to what's happening hormonally in women's aging, I think it was Shirley Weir who said, um, or it could have been, it could have been Wendy Sweet who said, "Until we put women's healthy aging at the center of women's healthcare, we aren't going to get too far."
0: That's interesting.
1: Yes, because we keep looking at disease models,
0: right? How do we help that as a group of women? to change that within the healthcare system, what would be something that we could do? We start having the conversations
1: with each other. We start to educate ourselves. As I said, you know, I've, I've, there's a couple of really good resources that I'm looking at. If anybody's out there on Facebook, there's a lovely Facebook group called Menopause Chicks that was started by Shirty Weir. And it comes out of her own story of perimenopause and nightmare and she's about sharing knowledge i want to share as much knowledge as possible talking to our doctors which takes a lot of courage because even though many of us who do feel quite knowledgeable and comfortable when you get to the doctor's office and you've got your eight minutes and you've got your list of questions or i've been looking at or you have some comments and they're just kind of like rushing you through kind of going yeah, well, it's either all in your head, or well, what do you expect? Or, well, no, I don't do that kind of testing, because I really don't know how to read those results, or I'm not. So it, it is about really pushing the agenda of, of having more specialization about women's healthy aging. It is about, you know, looking at lifestyle as well as hormone replacement. There is was that study that was done Oh, God, back in 2002 by the nurses and the women's. And I'm really sorry. I don't remember the name of the study. It was some of the Women's Health Study Institute that looked at hormone replacement therapy. Ideally, they wanted to get many thousands of women to participate. They didn't get enough participants. They needed a wider spread age of participants, but they were only getting women in their 50s and 60s. And they were not using bioidentical hormones they were using the, the older hormones that were given. And so the results started showing breast cancer in a lot of their participants. So from 2002 on, you've got like a generation of women as well as healthcare professionals who are kind of going, not going near home replacement therapy because it, it leads to breast cancer. Well, exactly what I got told. Exactly, because it is okay, the women in your family, et cetera, et cetera. So they opened up that study, I think back in 2017, to look at where the problems were with that study. Certainly the group of women that they studied was not big enough. They had too narrow an age range. And it was also, it had to do with the progesterone, which was a non-bio identical progesterone they were given them. So that seemed to be the problem. And it wasn't so much with the estrogen as with the progesterone that was creating the breast cancer. There is a shift, but it's, it's very slow in coming about looking at hormone replacement therapy, and it must be bioidentical hormones. Now, I'm sitting up here in Canada uh, where we have universal health care in the province of Quebec, because it's universal health care is controlled provincially by each minister of of health, ministry of health. Quebec Medicare will not cover bioidentical hormones because they're too costly. They'll cover the other ones but it's the bioidentical ones that you want. Now, I'm not on, on hormone replacement therapy. I, I was of that generation of, I'm not going near that stuff. Now, because I've done more reading and, and more research about what that research was, and you know, listening to more doctors, et cetera, who, who are knowledgeable about, about hormone replacement therapy and who specialize in hormonal research, I'm far more open to that. I'm no longer black and white about it.
0: Right. What is bioidentical hormones?
1: The bioidentical hormones, from what I understand, is bioidentical hormones actually mimic what our hormones do in our own bodies. Now, all hormone replacement is chemical. You know what I mean? Like if you, when you talk about pharmaceuticals, they're all created in a lab, right? But the bioidentical hormones of, of estrogen and progesterone mimic the estrogen and progesterone in our bodies. Okay. And is it specialized? It's very specialized to mimic what actually happens in our own bodies.
0: Okay. So your hormones and my hormones will be different. Sure
1: they will. Yes. Which is why it's not one size fits all. I'm actually quite curious to see what are my hormone levels are like, but you need to find somebody and it could be a doctor of naturopathy who specializes in that and says, here, get your blood work done. And this is what I'm looking for this, 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 and this, not just what's your estrogen, your progesterone, right? There's more to look at. Then if they have an understanding of how to read those results, they can then say, okay, this is what your levels of progesterone are doing. This is what your estrogen is doing. This is what your FSH is doing. This is what your cortisol levels are doing. So from there, if you were to use, because you can also say, well, what am I doing with my lifestyle? Were there things that I can change in my diet or what I'm doing? And then maybe look at, so then those doctors can then prescribe the right dosage of progesterone and how you take it or of estrogen. So not only the dosage, but how you're taking it. Am I taking it orally? Is it on my skin? Is it vaginally? Is it so there are different ways that you can take it? But again, it's not a one size fits all. That's why we really, really need to have healthcare professionals who really specialize in women's aging fatigue may not be a hormonal well it might not be an estrogen or, or a progesterone issue it might be a thyroid issue it might be what's your what are your levels of ferritin like what's the iron in your body what are your ferritin levels so there's so much to
0: check as i said it's not just the one size fits all oh, you don't have enough estrogen right My wife went through gastric bypass and her surgeon had all these different tests run that I think were a lot of what you're talking about even though it had what normally would be on a blood work, they were always bitching. God, this doctor always wants so much. And I don't know what she's looking at. And I can't even read these results. So I'd be curious to know what she was looking at. And I know a lot of it had to do with the iron and the progesterone and the cortisol in her body because of her reaction to some of, you know, like the glue and the soap. And so they really wanted to see what was happening and why she was so exhausted after surgery and all of these things her iron levels dropped right out from underneath her and yeah that is really interesting so now you've got to really look at who you talk to about what and who knows how to read it interesting
1: yeah and you really want good accurate information you really need to know know your sources because you know going out to Dr. Google can be overwhelming and a lot of inaccurate information as well. So you need to know your sources, which is why, uh, you know, I'm looking at, at um, Shirley Weir's uh, menopause chicks, because she has a lot of healthcare professionals from different modalities, by the way, not just doctors or OBGYNs. So she's there. She's a lovely book called Mokita. That's a really lovely book. She's a bit controversial because of what she had to say about vaccination. But Dr. Christian Northrop's The Wisdom of Menopause is an excellent resource as well and then you know in, in Quebec there's also some resources in French that I'm also investigating too cuz the conversation is starting to happen here but it is about having conversations and not accepting that you have to suffer through things that you you know you you deserve to feel great it's amazing the stories i've been hearing lately about how women's health gets ignored There was a story about a young woman who had endometriosis from a very early age. She was presenting with horrible abdominal pain from maybe the age of 11 or or 12. It wasn't until she was in her 20s when she was begging doctors to actually give her a hysterectomy. Do you know that no doctor believed her? They kept doing pregnancy tests. I'm thinking, wouldn't any doctor say if if a young woman is presenting, doesn't matter how young she is, with chronic abdominal pain, would you not just say, well, maybe she just have an ultrasound to take a look at that? Because an ultrasound would have picked up endometriosis, but she was years,
0: years and years and years
1: and nobody believed
0: her. I had endometriosis. I had fibroids in my uterus. I had horrible, horrible pain, went through a lot of the same things that she went through, went through miscarriages and, you know, I've got three beautiful babies. Thank goodness they're not babies anymore. They have babies of their own who aren't babies anymore, you know, but doctors don't look at that. They look at a lot of other things. And then nobody talks about what happens when you have babies and all of your female organs start moving. And then you have a hysterectomy And your whole body can just fall apart because nothing is holding it all together in there. Your uterus does so much more than just produce babies. It holds your insides together. (laughs) For me, after having had the hysterectomy and the bladder sling, Then I had prolapse and rectocele and prolapse is where everything literally starts to fall out of the vagina. The whole vagina starts to come, just fall apart. And rectocele is where you actually, the muscles within the vagina, where the rectum comes through underneath the vaginal wall starts to break apart. And so you literally have poop coming up into your vagina, not inside of it, but through the muscle and into, you can feel it when you put your hand inside of yourself, you can feel it. And I would have to push the poop out. And then it's just, you know, nobody wants to talk about these things that happen to the female body.
1: Yeah, that happens. And actually, incontinence, young women who've who've given birth, that's been such a taboo because with, well, first of all, we always have a little leaky bladder when we giggle when we're old women, you know, well, actually, we're not supposed to have that either. By the way, no, like, (laughs) like, like, you know, incontinence is not a de facto result of aging. Right. So again, that's about our pelvic floor health. Or babies. Or babies. But a lot of women, that because that never gets talked about. So, you know, that after you've given birth, there's some healing that has to happen. So getting a good pelvic floor physiotherapist who
0: specializes in it. And there are more and more. I had no idea that there was even such a thing until after my accident. And had I known... When I had babies that there was although I you know, doubt that there were thirty years ago. But had I known even after the hysterectomy that there were such a thing, I would have gone and done that because it would have built up the muscles of the vagina and then all of these other things might not have occurred. That's right. Please, if you have babies <laughs> Look in your area for a pelvic floor specialist. It is an amazing, yeah, it's a little uncomfortable. You've got somebody with their fingers up inside of your vagina, but it is so good for your pelvic floor health and for the, your health of everything else, for your bladder, for your rectum, all of those inside stuff. You know, so you go through a little bit of uncomfortability for five or 10 minutes until you get used to this. But then it's this amazing journey with an amazing person who was willing to go and specialize in this incredibly helpful therapy. Yeah. They're a blessing. Yeah. The one that I had in Columbus, Ohio, was amazing. She's now in Cleveland. Her name is Amanda Novzinger. She's phenomenal, phenomenal. And then down here, we have, I have not met her yet, but. Her website's incredible. Her name is Angelique Yoder. She's a Yoder and she's like, nothing is taboo. Come on in. We'll talk about the vagina, the rectum, the whatever. And I'm like, I love her already. Yeah, I mean, it's just find one and go explore what they have the potential of doing for you because it's incredible.
1: I mean, the only way we can make things change is by starting to have those conversations and by saying stuff out loud. By saying stuff out loud is really, really important. And having those open conversations conversations with your girlfriends, you know? So like the sisterhood, so you can actually start having those conversations and starting to make change. But a million years ago, I wanted to be a midwife. And I studied nursing to become a midwife, but then I, I, I didn't continue in nursing just because mid- midwifery wasn't legalized in the province of Quebec at the time. But I wanted to be a midwife because I always thought women got the shit end of the stick when it came to pregnancy and childbirth. And women are still getting the shit end of the stick because they're still not believed about what's going on. And, and they're still you know, like, oh, well, c'est large, it's your age, and so what do you expect? Like the fact that, you know, women who are absolutely absolutely beside themselves with fatigue and stress or whatever, for a doctor to say, I've heard this again, good old CBC, doctor to say to woman who's middle-aged saying, well, you're a woman, what do you expect? Your life is very tiring. You've got kids, you've got aging parents, you've got, I'm sorry, that just doesn't
0: wash. No, hello. Just because life is happening doesn't mean that there isn't something going on beyond life. Yeah, and that you just have to suffer through it. Right. We as women really have this amazing ability to see inside of ourselves and to know when something is not in balance. We really do. And I think that has been a huge gift in our life, but it's that thing that guys don't have. And I think that's why they don't believe us. (laughs) You know, because that's the craziest damn thing you ever
1: heard. What do you mean? But it's not just, say, male doctors. You get that, too, with female doctors who come out of those same schools, right? It's really important that women talk to each other. I dare say it is changing. We are having this conversation. There are groups for women, as I said, you know, menopause chicks. There are more and more women. In Quebec, there's this great um, TV uh, three-part series called Lotto Meno which means the lottery of menopause and the actress uh, and and, uh, kind of Quebec personality is doing is talking about her own hellish nightmare with paramenopause. And she says, well, she's my paramenopause. She says, it's like a lottery. You might get one symptom, you might win 10 symptoms, you might win 30, or you might win the jackpot, like I did in my case. And so she's talking to other women. So it is about us having the conversation you know likewise to have women not also freak out because we talk about when we know there's something imbalanced and not quite right but also then not to be incredibly stressed out by the imbalance and not to go into a huge place of fear because when our bodies we no longer recognize our bodies when they start to do things that we're not too sure about or our mind like just even the woman I, who I rented a car from a few weeks ago she's oh she's I'm sorry she's I always forget names and stuff like that, you know, and, but not face, but I'll forget names. And she says, yeah, she says, I'm, I'm just happening more and more. And I just said to her, cause I'm looking at her, she's thinking, "Nah, she's probably about my age. And I said, could be perimenopause. She says, really? I said, yeah. I said, your brain a bit foggy. Yeah. She's have a harder time concentrating. I can't remember names. And I said, oh yeah. Or, or, or the joke too. Like I just thought everybody knew that one about, you know, pronouns are the first to go. You know, when you hit perimenopause, it's like, right? You know the the you get really frustrated especially with your partner. You know the thing. You know that that does
0: fuck you know? <laughs> the thing. Yes, I do the thing. Come on, you know it's got this many letters in it. I feel like I'm playing charades all the time. Oh <laughs> my god, it's charades! But you know, it's like it's like no need to panic. That's just
1: perimenopause.
0: Yeah, because that is, you do start to panic. I mean, for me, this started happening years ago. And so I got a DNA test done and I got the Alzheimer's test done because I was afraid that that's where I was headed. And I found I don't have the gene. That doesn't mean that I won't get it, but I'm less likely to get it. And that took this pressure off that was amazing. So the more knowledge that we have about things, the less stress we have to do about them. So having the conversation that everybody plays charades it makes you feel so much better. Oh, good. I'm not the only one. But now let's do something I'm not about. the only
1: one. Oh, my God. Yes. Oh, God. Thank God. You too. I'm not the only one. No, you're not the only one. And it's okay. And there are things that we can look at. And there are choices we can make. And there's information we can get. And there's conversations we can be having. And, uh, I, you know, your story reminds me, in this in this series, Lotto Meno, one of the young women that uh, Véronique Cloutier interviews... Went into her perimenopause very early on, probably in her mid to late thirties, and she could not function. She was uh, becoming extremely forgetful, the brain fog, depression, anxiety, but she could not function. Her brain, and so she was told by various doctors, "Well, you're looking at probably like some some dementia, and or early Alzheimer's," and so her life was an absolute mess until. Somebody put her in touch with this one of this one of the doctors, a uh, Dr. Sylvie um, who tested her hormones and just said, Let's take a look at what's going on hormonally. Because doctors said to her, Well, oh, you're way too young for for paramet- you're way too young. You're waiting, you know, your your periods are normal, you're way too young. So they completely dismissed anything that might be going on hormonally. They were telling her, Well, it could be some early dementia. And so when she had her hormones tested. And this doctor then said, I'm going to prescribe these particular hormones. And this young woman said, I could not believe that a pill was going to help me. But she says, so I took the hormones that I was prescribed by this particular doctor who's researched, done a lot of research in, in hormone replacement therapy for women. And she said within three weeks, her life changed.
0: What a beautiful story. To start with the fact that we are not alone. That we have each other as long as we start the conversations and continue to have them, even when they're uncomfortable. Who wants to talk about incontinence? Who wants of either? Yeah, either end. (laughs) Either end. (laughs) uh, Either side of the end. (laughs) Who wants to talk about our hot flashes and our craziness? But let's do that anyway. Let's talk about it anyway. Because bottom line, you are my sister and we support each other. There's no more competition. That's right. And our
1: health is so important. We are asking our bodies to live another three to even five decades beyond the menopause anniversary date. We're expected to do a lot more mileage than our grandmothers did. With our brains. With our brains, with our bodies. So how do we keep this vessel as fine-tuned as we possibly? Yeah, this this vehicle's got to do a lot more mileage. And we want to do it joyfully and comfortably.
0: With as much fun as possible. Yeah. (laughs) I want to leave this world used up, old tire, thrown (laughs) in. trash because there isn't anything left. Not because my hormones were crazy, not because I went through pain, but because I enjoyed life to the absolute fullest. And to know you don't have to suffer through,
1: because as women, that's the whole thing, right? Keep it all together. Keep it all together. Hang in there. Push through. Push through. Yes, I'm tired. Yes, I'm miserable. Yes, I'm, you know, well, it's my age. And so, yeah. But you know what? Asking for help and not settling for the answer of, well, it's what do you expect? It's, It's the age.
0: And we've got our hands reached out. If you need assistance and you need some more direction on where to go, let us know. The conversation is open. Hang out. Let's talk. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk.
1: Let's talk. That's right. Let's talk menopause and so much more. Absolutely.
0: Anytime.
1: Anytime. <laughs> no topic too taboo, obviously. That's right. And the humor in it all. Because if we don't have a sense of humor about it.
0: Oh, please.
1: Ooh, boy.
0: <laughs> yeah. I've had these amazing gifts given to me through some, you know, some rough tumbles, but I have learned through that, that there are so many different alternatives, you know, like with the incontinence, I have an inner stem that controls my whole bladder function. And it does that because I lost some of the pudendal nerve, which is the nerve that runs everything within your uh, pelvis and your pelvic floor and your, you know, evacuation of your bowels and all of this. So I have this mechanical device that actually allows me to use my bladder, but it was not necessarily made for that. It was made to help women and men with incontinence. And so... They took it a step further when they placed it into me and found that, you know, it could actually do all of these other things, which was really cool. So there's things that we can use that are not just drugs. Yes, it's a little different having a mechanical device inside of me. But let me tell you something when it's adjusted right, I don't pee my pants every time I laugh. I was in my 30s when I started having major problems with that. And had I had this device placed at that time, wow. I mean, I couldn't even go out and dance anymore because I was wetting my pants so badly without wearing, you know, something. And then back then, it the the pads were worse than the menstrual pads. So I was like, I will just won't not go dance. And as
1: you said, had you had a pelvic floor physiotherapist, that would have made a huge difference as well.
0: Right. I mean there's so many things that we have now that it blows my mind how far we have come in the medical field. Yes. And how far we haven't come. Right? But if we know about these things, if we talk to each other we can learn about them. We get to find out what's going to work for us and what's not. But at least we have the conversations. That's really the most important part. Because you feel more empowered and you know
1: you're not alone. Knowledge is power. Knowledge gives power that sense of me too and I'm not alone. That's what kills shame. That's
0: what busts through shame. Yep. It busts through shame. You don't have to feel guilty about it. You don't have to blame anybody for it. You know, we just stand up and say, okay. I can do this for myself because number 1, I love me. And for me it's, you know, all about living in that love, joy and grace and whether it's loving you or loving me, we're all important and we're not alone. Let's have the conversations. Joe, this was amazing. I love spending time with you. Thank you. Likewise. Likewise. <laughs> oh, thank you. This is just incredible. And y'all reach out to Joe Visser Coaching. J O V I S S E R C O A C H I N G dot com, correct? No, there's no dot
1: com, my love. I don't have a dot com, but I am Joe Visser Coaching at gmail.com if you want to reach out to me. There you go. And I'm on Facebook as Joe
0: Visser. All right. That's awesome. I just love you, Joe. Just love you, my sister. I am so privileged to know you, to love you, to have you in my life. Likewise. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Thank you. Yeah, this has been absolutely, absolutely fabulous hanging out with you today. Thank you, everybody. I appreciate it. This is Roar with Sparks. How loud is your roar? And come back again. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Roar with Sparks. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please share it with a friend. And of course, rate, review, subscribe on your favorite podcast player. We can be reached at www.wrarinc.com. Thank you again, and we can't wait to see you here next week. How loud is your roar?